This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can analyze the mental health and personality factors that may be at work in the Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. case. He is otherwise known as the Golden State Killer. Just a reminder, I'm not diagnosing anybody in this video, only speculating about what could be happening in a situation like this. If you enjoyed this video, please like it, subscribe to my channel, and consider supporting me on Patreon. I'll put the link to Patreon in the description for this video. So first I'll take a look at D'Angelo's background, then look at the timeline of the crimes, move to the investigation, and then the mental health and personality factors. Starting with the background, D'Angelo was born in Bath, New York on November 8, 1945. He would be the oldest of four children. D'Angelo's father was an airman in the U.S. Army, and because of this, the family moved around quite a bit. Now, I've seen people report that he was in the Air Force, but at the beginning of his service in World War II, the Air Force was not a separate branch of the military. At that time, it was the United States Army Air Forces. A few years later, it would become the Air Force. It's been reported that D'Angelo's father was physically abusive to his mother, striking her frequently, so much so that his mother would occasionally wear two pairs of pants to mitigate the pain caused by the impact. It seems quite likely that D'Angelo and his siblings were also victims of abuse at the hands of his father. The family was in Germany when D'Angelo witnessed something that may have contributed to his later criminal behavior. He was about nine years old, and he was playing with his sister. She was about seven at this time. They were in an abandoned warehouse in Germany when two airmen entered the warehouse and raped his sister in front of him. D'Angelo would earn his GED in 1964, and in that same year, he would join the U.S. Navy, serving for 22 months during the Vietnam War. In 1968, he attended Sierra College in Rockland, California, and would graduate with an associate's degree in police science. In 1970, he was engaged to a woman named Bonnie Jean Caldwell, but she broke off the engagement. Caldwell would later describe that D'Angelo's interest in sex was insatiable, saying that it would last for hours, and he would listen to The Doors the entire time. The Doors was a popular band at that time. It featured Jim Morrison as the lead singer. Later, victims would hear D'Angelo yell, I hate you, Bonnie, as he was attacking them. So clearly this relationship left some sort of impression with him. He was kind of holding on to a lot of anger there. Sometime around May 1973, after a police internship, he became a police officer in Exeter, California, working on the burglary unit. So he learned a lot about burglary during that time. D'Angelo returned to college, this time at Sacramento State University. He would earn a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. He would marry Sharon Marie Huddle in November 1973, although he first met her just a few weeks after his breakup with Caldwell. They would live in Citrus Heights, California. The couple had three daughters. The two would separate in 1991, but Huddle would not file for a divorce until 2018. The divorce wasn't finalized until 2019. So they broke up in 91, and the divorce wasn't filed till 18. That must have been a pretty long and cumbersome application for divorce. I've actually seen this many times, where it's just not a priority. 
couples just keep going even though they're separated and they just remain married. So sometimes some type of occurrence has to take place that motivates one of the people to actually fall through the divorce. Being arrested for serial killing might be that type of occurrence, as it seems to be in this case. Something else interesting here, Huddle actually became an attorney and, as part of her practice, handled divorces. So just something that really stands out considering the circumstances here. D'Angelo continued working as a police officer, first in Exeter, as I mentioned, until 1976, and then in Auburn until 1979. That same year, he was arrested for shoplifting and sentenced to six months probation. It was reported that he attempted to steal a can of dog repellent and a hammer from a drugstore. A security guard and a cashier actually tied D'Angelo to a chair because he was resisting, something that we wouldn't see today. Now, it's interesting that it never occurred to anyone that given the nature of the crimes in the area, it was a little suspicious that he was stealing those two items, especially considering he could afford them. Perhaps the police would have caught him if he had also shoplifted a copy of the magazine Burglars Monthly. Evidently, during the course of his apprehension, he actually feigned a heart attack. He was being dramatic and emotional, something that would be brought up by the prosecution at his bail hearing in 2020. He would be arrested again in 1996 for holding up a gas station, but the charges were dropped in that case. D'Angelo's work history from 1979 through the late 80s is a bit of a mystery. From the late 80s until 2017, he worked at a distribution center for a supermarket chain as a diesel mechanic. Now moving to the timeline of the crimes. Outside of the shoplifting charge, D'Angelo started his criminal career in April 1974. Initially, he would be known as the Visalia Ransacker. He committed one homicide and about 120 burglaries. He operated in this area until December 1975. In June 1976, he became active again, this time in the Sacramento area, where he had recently moved. He would become known as the East Area Rapist. He committed about 50 separate sexual assaults, the last one taking place in July 1979. There were several behaviors that we see across many attacks during this time. D'Angelo would often stalk victims for some time before carrying out an attack. He would burglarize the house in advance, sometimes, and set it up for a later crime. For example, he would remove the cartridges from firearms, hide shoelaces that he would use to tie up the victims later on, and unlock windows. Even still, the majority of the time when he would go to commit the assault, he would have to physically break into the home, often using a screwdriver to break the lock in a sliding glass window or prying open one of the windows. Initially, he seemed to target women who were alone, and eventually he started attacking couples usually breaking in, threatening them with a firearm, having the female tie up the male before he would tie her up. He would then stack dishes on the top of the male's back, saying that if he heard any of the dishes fall, he would kill everybody in the house. He would then commit the sexual assault and sometimes would linger around the home for hours. Typically, he would steal items that had little monetary value, although he did steal quite a bit of jewelry eventually. In addition to these assaults, he also killed a couple that he confronted in the street in February 1978. Starting in October 1979, we see that D'Angelo resumes activity. Eventually, for these crimes, he would be referred to as the original Night Stalker. Again, his crimes took place in California, this time in the counties of Santa Barbara, Ventura, and Orange. In October 1979, he tied up a couple after breaking into their home, but after the woman screamed, 
he fled the scene on a bicycle. From December 1979 through July 1981, he would kill nine more people, four couples and one individual. Almost five years later, in May 1986, he would kill a woman in Irvine, California. He sexually assaulted all of the female victims before committing homicide. Now moving to the investigation. It took police a while to realize that the same perpetrator committed the crimes in the Sacramento area and in the Santa Barbara area. The police managed to arrest three different people for D'Angelo's crimes. All three were eventually cleared, and D'Angelo was arrested in April 2018. He was initially charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. They caught D'Angelo using family DNA. They matched the DNA collected at the crime scenes to somewhere between 10 and 20 people who had the same great-great-great-grandparents as the killer. They were able to narrow down the number of suspects to two people using a family tree they constructed, but one of those people was ruled out by a relative's DNA. This left only D'Angelo. They surreptitiously gained his DNA, and that allowed them, of course, to make the arrest. D'Angelo confessed to the murders, saying that he was possessed by another personality he referred to as Jerry. On March 2020, as part of a plea deal to avoid the death penalty, D'Angelo pled guilty to 13 murders, many other charges, and accepted responsibility for even more charges. The statute of limitations had expired for a number of the crimes he had committed. Now moving to the mental health and personality factors. We see a number of interesting and sometimes conflicting descriptions of D'Angelo. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. <sighs> I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. He was described as a good father. It was said that he was looking forward to retirement. He planned on doing a lot of fishing. His grass was always perfectly cut. He was prone to fits of rage. One person said that anger was just pouring out of him. He would yell at nothing in his backyard and sometimes pace in circles. He threatened to deliver a load of death to a neighbor if their family dog would not stop barking. He was described as plastic, fake, and unwilling to discuss his feelings. It was also reported that he would throw a temper tantrum when he was unable to find his keys. Well, now that he's in prison for life, I suppose that problem will be fixed. The guards usually keep track of the keys in that environment. Now, interestingly, some of his neighbors really liked him. They said that he would always apologize when somebody would overhear him cursing. When he was arrested, he surrendered without incident. He told the police that 
he had a roast in the oven when they said he was being charged with several murders. So kind of detached. It has been suspected that D'Angelo made several calls to the police and to victims taunting them when he was active as a criminal. Now, it could have been that people called claiming to be the perpetrator when they were not, so there's no way to be sure, but some victims did recognize his voice as the perpetrator. So I will run under the assumption that D'Angelo made at least some of these calls. D'Angelo stands out for a number of reasons. He mostly operated within three narrow roles, spanning from 1974 to 1986, although he committed just one murder in 1986 after waiting five years. So for the most part, we're looking at 1974 to 1981 a seven-year period. He functioned as a burglar for a few years, then a rapist, then a serial killer. Now, there was overlap, but he mostly kept these roles separate. So we see a methodical escalation as he moved toward being a serial killer. A prosecutor in this case described D'Angelo as cruel, intelligent, and sadistic, saying that he was a sociopath and a master manipulator. There are strong suspicions by many that D'Angelo is faking delusions and hallucinations. For instance, saying that there was another personality inside of him named Jerry. Many people believe he has personality pathology. We see a number of psychopathic characteristics that align with D'Angelo's behavior. For instance, no empathy, no remorse, a high level of sadism, a sense of entitlement, being manipulative, being a pathological liar, sensation-seeking, and having fearless dominance. He was a sexual domination type serial killer. There's no convincing evidence that he is delusional. It seems likely that he made that up to escape responsibility. Like many serial killers, he was interested in police work, except in his case, he was able to get through the screening process to become a police officer. I think there are a few reasons for this. One is he was a police officer in a small town, but another reason is that he didn't have a criminal record when he applied. Most people who would become serial killers commit crimes when they were younger and most get caught at least one time. D'Angelo planned his crimes carefully for the most part. If it weren't for DNA, he would have never been caught for any of those crimes except for that misdemeanor shoplifting charge. He probably shoplifted regularly. Usually when a person gets caught for shoplifting, they have committed about 50 to 100 prior shopliftings. His law enforcement experience probably helped him to escape. As I mentioned, he learned a lot about burglary. He was somewhat regimented in his progression through the different roles, as I indicated, which also probably helped him to get away with the crimes. He learned how to be an efficient burglar first before moving to riskier behaviors. So he kind of became an expert at that particular aspect, practicing it over and over, making sure he didn't get caught, and then we see the escalation. D'Angelo was a prolific criminal. He committed somewhere near 200 separate offenses. Each one would have carried multiple charges if he had been arrested. So if he had been charged for everything he did, he probably would have accumulated over a thousand felonies. A question that comes up often about the root of D'Angelo's behavior revolves around his sister being assaulted in front of him when he was around nine years old. Could this one traumatic event have shaped his mind and become the source of an obsession that would lead to his criminal behavior later on? It's hard to know for sure, but there have been other instances where a singular trauma has shaped someone's personality, particularly if the trauma occurs when the individual was young, as was the case here. It could have been that he replayed the memory in his mind repeatedly, and that contributed to it becoming an obsession. 
Another thing that stands out with D'Angelo is the fact that he assaulted and killed so many couples. During this part of his criminal career, he was fairly similar in this regard to David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, and Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Berkowitz and Ramirez were disorganized killers. D'Angelo mixed the pattern of targeting couples with being organized. He wasn't disorganized, he was quite organized, which makes him even more dangerous. This behavior of attacking couples is quite rare among serial killers, and it seems to be part of the escalation in the case of D'Angelo. He started off attacking individuals, and then he moved up to attacking couples. So part of his drive wasn't being satisfied with just attacking individuals. I think it's probably the case that many serial killers desire to do what D'Angelo did in that regard, but they probably didn't feel confident enough that they would get away with it. D'Angelo was a particularly fearless and physically fit killer. Another interesting item with D'Angelo is the idea that he had this type of escalation, yet at some point he stopped. Many people don't believe his last crime was in 1986, so it may have been they just slowed down. But either way, we see a marked change in the frequency of his crimes. It's not clear if his drive decreased, if he found some other way to satisfy the drive that was safer, if he was no longer physically or emotionally able to commit the crimes, or if something else happened. Now, looking at a potential profile of D'Angelo's personality, I conceptualize personality using the five-factor model. I remember the five factors through the acronym OCEAN, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So looking at openness to experience, it appears that D'Angelo had a fairly low level, but then again, we see his interest in the doors, which is typically associated with a higher level. So we see evidence kind of pulling in both directions. In terms of conscientiousness, he was, for the most part, highly conscientious. He was not impulsive. He planned things out fairly carefully. With extroversion, his level appears to be somewhat low. He wasn't particularly friendly or outgoing. We see a low level of agreeableness. He didn't tend to trust people. He was not straightforward. And he certainly wasn't looking out for anyone else's interest. With neuroticism, his level appears to be quite low. He did have some difficulty regulating anger, but he was able to stay calm in extraordinarily stressful situations. So kind of stepping back and looking at this case, D'Angelo is a good example of how horrible someone's behavior can be when they lack empathy, have an abundance of aggression, and have a clear object of hatred at which they can express their aggression. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.